Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We've got a new New Mutants trailer this week, and apparently the movie's actually going to come out in April, so who better to talk to than the person who created those characters, legendary comic book creator Chris Claremont. We'll also talk Legion, Star Wars, and if time permits, maybe even some Iron Fist. Marvel TV Weekly starts now. (laughs) I'm Maria Menounos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Welcome to Marvel TV Weekly, our first of 2020. I am Christian Blatt, joined by the lovely, the talented, the effervescent Zia Anderson. Effervescent. I really like that word. Yeah, I, you, you, you know, we. I can look it up later. It sounded nice. It just I hope sounds it, cool. I hope it wasn't an insult. Really, you're just calling me an In any case, as I mentioned at the top of the show in the little tease, we are uh, privileged to be joined once again by Chris Claremont, uh, best known as the longtime writer of Uncanny X-Men. But countless uh, other other credits to uh, you know, but I always feel like that's the best way to introduce you to people. But uh, I guess I could just say author extraordinaire Chris Claremont. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. It's very kind. Uh, so there, obviously, uh, the last time that you and I had a chance to speak was right after the Dark Phoenix movie. And ever since then, I've wanted to talk to you about the finale of the Legion TV series. But uh, good for you. Unfortunately for me, you've been traveling to conventions basically all around the world. So it's been very hard to kind of pin you down. It looks like uh, you've been having fun from your Instagram. And everybody should follow Chris on Instagram at Chris Clear Mountain. Uh, it's, uh, you know, some great insights. And you'll see some familiar faces, other creators that you end up, you know, crossing paths with. Uh, and there's so much to talk about. But because I wanted to talk to you about it for so long and the Legion TV series and the character are near and dear to both Zia and my respective hearts. We actually met on the after show uh, for Legion <laughs> right did. here at AfterBuzz TV. <laughs> so uh, we've known each other almost two years because of that. So I wanted to start off by asking what was your thoughts on the final season, the final episode, and kind of how you look at the series as a whole at 30-some-odd chapters. How do you feel about this as, as a standalone work? Well, I have a, an indiscreet confession to make that I still haven't seen the third, <laughs> the third season yet. Excellent. Because I don't want to say goodbye. I get it's, that. Sorry. Oh. Um, I th- sorry, the dog is parking. Bar- <laughs> That's all right. Um, new, starting the u- new year, totally inarticulate. That's good. <laughs> And there she is. Hang on. To that's the- all right. No, that's uh, that's great. Well, you know, Zia and I both, uh, you know, really enjoyed the final season. We talked I about that on the this last show. Season so and much. I, I obviously I love Dan Stevens, and you know, the show is great. Uh, now, I assume you know that we do no, I mean, get Dan to Stevens. Hmm? Sorry. Oh no. I well, mean, Dan Stevens is just brilliant. The casting on the show was brilliant. The writing on the show was brilliant. It's it was extraordinary to watch this thing evolve through two seasons. And find myself unable to, I, don't, I think it goes for Bill Sinkevich as well, unable to figure out what was going to happen next. And that is such a rich delight in terms of TV, and especially episodic TV. I sort of don't want it to end, which is why I'm I'm so far behind in looking at the third season. Right. Well, when I you, like everybody too much. When you do see it, uh, we get kind of an interesting portrayal of young Charles Xavier, which I know we saw a little bit from James McAvoy, but I think this uh, Harry Lloyd from the Harry Potter movies is, is it, it's a I don't know for me on screen it, it is a unique take on uh, uh, the the gentleman I know you refer to as Charlie. I don't know him as well as you, so I feel like I should at least call him Charles. 
but I think he did a great you job. You just call him Chuck, like Wolverine. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, but I don't. I don't have adamantium claws, so I don't think I can get away with it. No. But I, I think that uh, he did a great job. And whenever you do watch it, I, I, uh, I hope to talk to you after that to see if you appreciate it. There's, there are little kind of Easter eggs for huge comic book nerds like myself. There, you know, he in the scene where he meets Amal Farouk, he's dressed very similarly to the way he was in the flashback story where we first meet him in the comics. I believe it was uh, Uncanny 117. Unless, uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm not quite as good as I used to be with the numbers, but I think that's when it was. Uh, so one day uh, I, I'll check in and it'll, it'll turn out. But I, I understand not want to say goodbye. I didn't want to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. As the season went along, I'll be, I'll be honest, there was one episode that I felt like was a little bit of a waste of time. And I was like, no, 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 we only had like eight. Don't, don't do that. I want to make them all count. But I, I really enjoyed the show. And Zia, I know that you felt the same way about the characters, right? Oh, I loved it. It was, yeah, I did not want to say goodbye. It was one of those sort of bittersweet endings, especially because you know you're not going to get another season. It's different when they're setting up the next season and right. you're, oh, great, but this, this was it. Um, but I did really enjoy what they did with the show and what they did with the characters. Um, I think that you'll probably, if you really liked the first two seasons, you're going to like the third season. Well, to, to be honest, I'm holding out for the DVD. Okay. Okay. That's great. You know, I, I mean, I, because that way I can, I can go back and forth and back and forth and essentially treat the TV series the way one would a, a comic book, where if you have a question, you can pause, you can go back, you can look at an earlier episode. And with this, there are a lot of questions and there are a lot of, interesting characters and a lot of setups that one wants to go back and oh okay and move on i don't know how oh sorry good no just waiting for (laughs) someone appropriate at disney to realize oh we're not earning some money let's put out the dvd set (laughs) and earn some more let's get that out there i don't know how much (laughs) time you spend on the internet or on social media but have you managed to avoid spoilers for season three I don't spend that much time oh, good. On, the, on the net because, <laughs> well, as my wife puts it, an hour, uh, a minute, an hour spent on the internet is an hour you're not working. Oh, yeah. Good and, point. Uh, <laughs> well, it's uh, it. My sons have much more fun discussing things on all of their various websites. I it just sort of makes my head explode. So I, you know, <laughs> I stick around on Instagram because that's basically me showing off. Saying, oh, look what cool places I've been and a really interesting food. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, there are a lot of great but, dinners around the world that you've had, uh, you know. In well, the it's past sort of fun sending out a complete, you know, a, a video, a visual dossier of, hi, I've just gone to Moscow and not the one in Idaho. Uh, no, I didn't know Moscow, there was one in Idaho. There is. <laughs> there is. Yeah, least, you know, unless I've, I'm wrong, in which case I'll be in real trouble. I'll but take your word for Moscow, it. Moscow, in terms of Russia, is an extraordinary city, especially if you're visiting it for the first time. And it's it was fun just to take lots of pictures and fortunately be able to post them and meet. I mean, the weirdest thing was going to a convention and having people come up with tons of recently published hardcovers. And what we thought started out as a one-hour signing lasted until the wee small hours of the morning as they were deconstructing the convention around us because we had something like 600 people in queue. And I did not want to go away without giving them signatures. And to have someone, and this happens more often, uh, quite often, people come up and actually burst into tears no. saying how much these characters and this story mean, means to them is, especially after all the time that has gone on since I started this foolishness, <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's a remarkable, it's a remarkable event and a remarkable feeling and you, it, an inspirational one as well, because when you get that kind of response from readers, you don't want to to disappoint them now or in the future. And it's it's just ridiculously fun. And yes, the same thing happened in Luca. I mean, five days in a row of people standing and pouring rain, waiting to come up and talk about 
the X-Men or the New Mutants. You can't, you can't be casual about that. You shouldn't be casual about that. And it, if anything is a, a writer's inspiration to do more and better work down the road, that's it. Um, I mean, and speaking of this, and so many fans that come to talk to you about these characters, do they typically talk to you about the same favorite characters, or are there some surprising favorites around the world? There are always surprises. Um, and it depends, actually, on what's happening in the books. It's what's happening in the movies. Um, the weird thing, again, is meeting, for example, Sophie Turner and realizing, wow, she's really tall. <laughs> she's as tall as I actually figured Jean and Kitty would be, which is weird. Because every you know, comics are much more traditional, in which case the ladies are smaller than the guys. And that always struck me as sexist. Well, especially because <laughs> Wolverine's what four foot eleven, or I, I know I'm exaggerating, but uh, you know, they, they're, <laughs> most of them are taller than him, just not taller than Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Yes, and I I learned early on never argue with Hugh Jackman. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good call. Oh yeah. <laughs> on the other hand, it, it, yes, technically Hugh Jackman looks nothing like Logan. But when you meet Hugh Jackman, when you see him perform the role, there's no there's no point in arguing. He's got it. He's got it nailed. Yeah, that's definitely one of those characters that I remember when he got cast. People were arguing about it and saying that he can't be. He couldn't possibly be Wolverine. He's too tall. He just, he's not doesn't fit the role. And now, after seeing him in that role for so long, I feel like you can't picture anyone else playing Wolverine. I mean, I can't. Would no, you, I can't either. <laughs> would you have anyone in mind? Are there any actors that you're like, okay, you could be Wolverine? I'm, I'm sure there are a, a gazillion actors, to use a phrase, who could be Logan. But uh, that's that's the joy of being a, a casting director. I mean, yeah. my original choice 30 years ago was Bob Hoskins. Oh. Wow. Okay. Because he was short and scary. And he could do it. But that was then. Yeah. And unlike in comic books, time in reality marches on. <laughs> and, you know, uh, you, have to, you have to deal with the, the changes in, in performers, the changes in film and casting realities, and the idea that somebody more interesting, more current, more cool might come along. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, when that first X-Men film came out in 2000, and it was kind of the, the, the no-brainer that Sir Patrick Stewart would be Charles Xavier. And, uh, you know, as he got older, he was even more perfect for the, the Logan version of uh, Charles at the end of his life. Uh -huh. So, uh, you know, but I, I look, I also think James McAvoy did a terrific job. It's just a completely different take. And as great as Serene McKellen is, obviously Michael Fassbender is one of the you know greatest actors we have now. So it's just you don't know how good someone's going to be until you see it, and they're not necessarily someone you'd think of. So uh, someday well, somebody exactly. somebody will be Wolverine again, and I would be stunned if Kevin Feige uh, let them cast someone who was not exceptional <laughs> in the role. <laughs> I won't argue with that. That's a, that's a good right. Thing. No, well. But that's uh, why they pay him the big bucks. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I know. And he's he's in charge of everything now, not just the movies, but uh, the comics, the animation, you know. So uh, obviously, if uh, you, you always ride the, uh, the, the fastest horse. Um, something that uh, is a little bit more in the news just this week, there was another trailer for this New Mutants movie, which uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've had a, time, had a chance to see it. it. It actually doesn't matter one way or the other. But have you seen it, this latest trailer? Yes. Okay. So then let me first ask what you thought of this trailer, which is our, our newest look at this film that we've been waiting for for two years. Are you going to show it or do you just want to we, announce it? Unfortunately, we can't show it because we'll get pulled uh, down by YouTube as much as we would love to show it right now. I, I think this one dealt more with the plot than the first one. The first one was just sort of a teaser. Yeah. Um, it's it's a challenge because um, I'm not sure how much of of the story will end up integrated into the into the film. So 
I, I have my fingers, my Glorioski, fingers crossed. <laughs> Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, I mean, we're getting the impression that we're getting at least some interpretation of the the Demon Bear story from the New Mutants comics, and we're getting a glimpse of some of the characters, and uh, Zia here is not as familiar with those characters, but what were you, Zia, most excited about from the trailer? Uh, First of all, seeing Demon Bear, um, (laughs) that looks awesome. That looks like such a great iteration to bring to life. I'm so excited about that. That and Magic with her Soul Sword. I can't wait to see that in the movie. they It seems like they have the soul sword coming out of her arm. Okay, yeah, I did notice that. To, yeah. yeah, as opposed to something that she, like, summons. Um, what what do you think about sort of that idea, bringing that into being? I have no problem with it. I think it all fundamentally depends on the script. Right. Sure. On the screenplay, on, on the vision of of the writer and the director interpreted through the actors. But that's that's the same challenge going back to the first X-Men film. Um, we'll see. I, I think everyone, there's the option of everyone being caught by surprise as they see the, the various ways, the people who are cast in the roles and how they all interact. I don't think anyone anticipated the the power that Hugh Jackman would bring to his role and how it would integrate with Patrick Stewart and all the rest of it. So there are, I think, surprises, potential surprises for everyone. We'll just, as the saying goes, have to wait and see and keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, I've been encouraged, uh, you know, in the years we've been waiting for this, that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I feel like the uh, the casting is great. You know, some familiar faces, obviously Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones, and uh, I believe Charlie Heaton is the guy from Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's uh, actors that you're at least familiar with, and yeah, it just depends, you know, what kind of chemistry do they have. I mean, I, I think that the cast of that uh, the the last fantastic four movie we got was a great cast but uh, a bad script and terrible chemistry uh is going to derail your movie every time i guess <laughs> something that you don't have to worry so much about when it's the the printed word i guess it depends on uh, well i guess even if it's a bad written story it's a bad written story but i'm excited for this obviously I would love to have seen a, a character like Warlock, but uh, I think that uh, you know they probably crunched the numbers on the budget, and they're like, well, let's see if we do a sequel, and, which, <laughs> of course, I feel like we're not likely to get at this point, but, uh, you know. I think you never know. The, the, the advantage when it comes to a dud issue is, ideally, one has 30 days to fix it. Yeah. And uh, we'll see. It's with a film that especially a superhero film, the the integration of script and casting and most importantly, from from a fiscal point of view, special effects Mm. is such a challenge that you never know. I mean, you, you could one could start who knew Star Wars would be Star Wars when when, you know, they, you know, when, when they started with the first line a long time ago in a galaxy far away. Yeah, right. It's it. Everybody, everything is a gamble. The fact that the 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 gambles these days, especially with with superhero films, run in budgets that would make a normal accountant gasp. Yeah, yeah. Is <laughs> you know, and and again, it, it's the script has to embrace whatever is most cool about the the concept and most identifiable to the audience about the characters and from there on you just keep going and keep your fingers crossed I uh, wanted to speak a little bit about the characters themselves. Uh, I grew up reading the New Mutants in sort of that era, you know, the in the 80s when it was a, a new title. And so I, I love the characters that we are getting in this film. And I sort of was curious about you approaching creating this, you know, having it be, okay, well, it's a it's a spinoff of the X-Men, sort of, because it's they're at Xavier's school, but creating mostly new characters. Did you approach it in any specific way, other than the fact that they're clearly 
sort of a you know a multinational, multi-ethnic uh, collection of superpowered characters. But I mean, so were the all new, all different X Men. Well, see, no, actually, that I think you actually have it backwards. The the approach we were bringing to it, which was to to make it fundamentally different from the X Men, right. is that they're kids. Sure. Yeah. They. I mean, it's what everyone forgets is that by the time the New Mutants came along, the X Men had been around for a good long time, to put it in an unspecific and terrifying phrase, and we knew everything about them. They'd all grown up. Yeah. They were they were adults. These are kids. These are the first step down the road to becoming whatever the X-Men or whomever become. And our hope was to try and show it from the perspective of, we don't know what the hell's happening to us. Where are we going with this? We are scared. And who can help us? Can anyone help us? Um, And again, it's, it's, Waking up one day when you're th- when one's thirteen, and s- discovering I can turn myself into steel, or I can walk through walls, or I can fly. On wa- you know we we're also used to the trope as grown-ups and to reading the stories as grown-ups. Think about what that's like when you're thirteen and you have no list of instructions. When suddenly you can turn into a wolf. Or, um, you know, you have a, a, a sword that can cut through anything. Or, you know, I mean, it's, it's on our level as adults looking back at what's happening, we think this is cool. But try to see it from the point of view of a 13-year-old. It's hard enough with all the fundamental changes that the body is going through then to start to suddenly throw in this idea that I have superpowers as well, I, it's a toss-up as to whether it's incredibly cool or incredibly scary. I think it depends on the power, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> it depends but, on what you just discover that you have. But that's the idea. I mean, that's what, that's what makes Charlie's school necessary, is that there is somewhere that can teach you Rather than oh my gosh, I'm I'm I've got to wing it on my own. Yeah, and doing I, it on on one's own is what can occasionally lead you down the path to becoming what people perceive as as quote unquote an evil mutant. Why? Mm-hmm. Because they don't know what they're doing and they're just playing it by ear. And out of that fear comes mis- mistakes. Right, and I guess figuring on what that power set is, obviously it's a lot difficult to grow up being Kurt Wagner than Sam Guthrie. You know, when you look like Nightcrawler, <laughs> right. you look like Ben Grimm. I know he's not a mutant, but, you know, there are those certain characters like, well, now I can't do anything, you know? and uh, Yeah, except the Colossus, especially looking back on when, when the story, when the mutants were created, at least theoretically could say the state will take care of me. Yeah, that's true. Because I am a good citizen of the Rodina. Now, not so much. <laughs> no, no, no state is uh, taking care of uh, anyone. Uh, sort of talking about the characters in general, one of the things that, as I was putting my notes together, that I remembered is that Karma was a character that had existed previously. You had also created yes. her for Marvel Team Up number 100. Mm-hmm. That I had to look up. But uh, you and Frank Miller created her. Uh, did you right away think, oh, she would be great for this team? And then I'm wondering, was it a conscious decision on your part that after six issues, you're like, oh, she doesn't really work in this setting? Or uh, I'm just sort of wondering a little bit about that very short arc she had. I, I know she comes back later, but sort of at the beginning of the run of the, the series. Well, she had... She was older than the others, right? So and and was somewhat more experienced in the, in the realities than the others. So it it set her apart. But like all teams, it's it's a matter of finding who fits and who doesn't. And if if one character fits, you run with it. If they don't, you find a way to evolve them. Sometimes it's it's 
you do it as a shock effect, which is what happened with um, fire with um, Warpath. Thunderbird is the. It's only been fifty years. (laughs) Well, well, of course, Warpath is, I guess, his younger brother who ends up in X Force. But Thunderbird, and also, I mean, Sunfire, I I think, lasts two pages after the giant size X Men, and then he's like, "Yeah, I don't like any of you," and he flies away. And then Thunderbird, unfortunately, lasts three issues before he unfortunately passes away. Oh, well. But we—that was the idea. There was to also establish the fundamental difference with the new with the current X-Men as opposed to the original X-Men is that the risk factor is so much greater. Times have evolved since then. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that uh, it's, you know, they're obviously out of your hands, characters sometimes get brought back, but uh, there was, at least in in those early days, those early issues, there was a sense of finality. When somebody died, they they were dead, you know, and I, I think that well, that, that's that was a- my idea. <laughs> yes. I, I did not quite anticipate the I, the the more corporate approach to character realities. Yeah. Were there any characters? <laughs> <laughs> Were there any characters that you just you started and then realized that you didn't enjoy the character and did, or didn't enjoy writing the character, and you're like, you know what, these have these characters have to go. Or was it more it just well, made sense for the story? Probably. <laughs> but it's been a good long while. Sure, sure. And, um, I mean, oh, the fact that I'm thinking um, Sunfire? What's his face from Japan? <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, you know, I mean. The fact I, that I'm calling him What's His Face from Japan yeah. probably gives you answers I, that question. I think, yeah, because obviously uh, you didn't you didn't write Giant Size X-Men, but you wrote uh, Uncanny, well, it wasn't called Uncanny at the time, 94. And I do think he's two, maybe three pages in that issue, and uh, you decided that uh, <laughs> you'd had enough of him. Well, he decided. I mean, he's True. a very, he's. He's an alpha. He considers himself an alpha hero. He doesn't. He doesn't do teams. Right. If you know, if, if he were going to star in his own series, not a problem. Yeah. But as far as being part of a team and especially having to take orders from Cyclops, he no wasn't his style at all. Well, since we're talking about the New Mutants, uh, I have also been waiting months to talk to you about the one-off that you and Bill Sienkiewicz did for Marvel's 80th anniversary, New Mutants War Children, which mm-hmm. was incredibly fun for me to read. It was as though I picked up a New Mutants issue 20-something that I kind of had forgotten I'd ever read. You know, it mm-hmm. just sort of felt right in there. So it was fun to read. I- I'm going to assume it must have been fun for both you and Bill to kind of, you know, just go right into that timeline and, and tell a new story well yeah i mean that for us that was exactly the approach um we didn't you know i had no interest in hi here are the new mutants 30 years older (laughs) Um, so what i mean it's there are enough mature characters in the marvel universe as it is and the thing that i felt was most enticing certainly for me as a writer and I hope for Bill as an artist, was that they're kids. Uh, they're, they're just starting down the road, and they don't have a, they don't have a, direct, a, a list of rules or directions. And not all of them want to be heroes right. for the rest of their, or, or costumed adventurers for the rest of their lives. They want to go off and, and well, I mean, Kitty's case when I did my short story for uh, her theoretical wedding with Colossus, the things, I, the throwaways I tossed in were the fact that she'd come back at some point to the States and picked up two doctorates. Right. You know, and that, that if she's going to be a grown-up, she will be a grown-up. But, again, as a writer... Her character, the the mutants themselves, are a lot more interesting as adolescents because everything is still at play. By the time you're in your theoretically mid to late twenties, most of the core decisions of your li- of one's life have been made. 
you know, one knows what directions one's going in. Uh, one pretty much has a, a, a roadmap to get to that destination. When one's an adolescent, it's all horribly up in the air. Every time you, you meet someone and, and fall in love, it's the most incredible event in the world. Every time there's a breakup, it is an utter and complete tragedy. You're worrying about what's happening at home with your with parents, with siblings. Sam Guthrie is probably more worried about his his brothers and sisters than he is about himself because that's it's his responsibility. And that to me, and actually because at the time I was writing them, being an adolescent, you generally get a do-over. Right. Screwing up is, is expected. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> you, so you learn from your mistakes, but you're, you get the option to make mistakes, which are denied once you somehow pass the, the 21 threshold. Which is kind of not fair, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, sort of uh, speaking of Kitty and bringing it back to New Mutants War Children, uh, I've been a tremendous fan of that character basically since I started reading comics. So, I don't know, about 35 years ago. Thank you. Uh, longer, longer than uh, this one here, Zia's entire life. I've been a fan <laughs> of Kitty Pryde. And uh, I was very glad that you decided to include her because it's not just Kitty. It's like Kitty sort of in, in her prime, sort of this era that you're talking about. I, mm-hmm. I'm not a 100% on the time. Timeline. This is sort of around Kitty Pride and Wolverine. I don't know if it's before or after, but it's sort of right in that time frame. When you were going to sit down and do this New Mutant story, was there ever any hesitation? Like, well, of course, Kitty will be in it because not just because Ileana is her best friend, but uh, just it, it seemed logical to you. The cheap answer is yes. <laughs> the, the old fart answer is wait a minute, which story is this now? The uh, the the War Children, yes. <laughs> The one that you guys did last year, yeah. So, oh, that one, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Of course, I know exactly what. <laughs> yes, she, yes, Kitty's. So you're flipping, trying to figure out does my computer actually have this one online so I can go look at it? Yeah. It's, no, this is the the tyranny of of how should we put it tactfully becoming a more mature person. <laughs> yeah. With no memory worth a, a damn. Uh, it's an evolution. It's, it's discovering, you know, I mean, the, the point, one of the core moments of, of Kitty's life is when the Neo-Sentinel destroys Genosha and, and she's witness to the death of her father, or at least the, she sees everything but the actual death. Um, there are signal moments in her life that, that define her. And that are in part the cost of being part of this, of the mutants, of being part of the X community. Um, oddly enough, as a matter of fact, I just I've just been writing the prologue and epilogue for the, I guess, fortieth anniversary uh, edition of God Loves Man Kills, which relates very strongly to to her life as it was then and more importantly as it is now and the passage of that amount of time because the kitty that exists in the Marvel Universe today or rather the Kate that exists in the Marvel Universe today is both the person that I that that John and I created but that person an unspecified amount of years later grown up and having to balance those those realities framing a story that it takes place when she was 13 was an interesting experience you know so we'll see did i get it right did i get it wrong (laughs) that's hopefully the readers will will make that judgment in a few months yeah, no, I, I realize now that you mention it, yes, we're uh, getting close to uh, 40 years of uh, God Loves Man Kills, which is, uh, oh, of course, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I know. It's... Well, no, but the, the, the really cool thing, though, about the the framing sequence that's being done for the, the reissue 
is that Brent will do the art, Brent Anderson will do the art, oh, and Tom Orsakowski will do the lettering. So basically, it's bringing the band back together again, or at least a, a significant chunk of it, which I actually think is is utterly appropriate. As much as possible, if one is going to do something like that, one should get the original team. Yeah, that was always a little bit jarring with uh, a lot of the the earlier stories I read as uh, when they were reissued as classic X-Men. And sometimes they would add these pages in, you know, to the original story. <laughs> and there was there were a few times like Dave Cockrum also drew the new pages, but usually it was a completely different artist. And it just didn't feel like, oh, yeah, this didn't it didn't feel like it was a natural insertion. You know, it's almost like the you know, the way that people talk about uh, the Star Wars special editions, you know, adding Jabba the Hutt, which never bothered me. But I know some people uh, find it, you know, 20 years later to not work so well. So the idea of getting well, the original creators is always what you want. You know, the, the problem is that on paper, one can recreate the original. But Carrie Fisher was not as young as she looked in uh, in Rogue One. Right. Actually, they, they really awful thing was Rogue One came out, what, I think a, a fortnight or a week after she passed, which is yes. really disconcerting. But there you go. Man plans, well, people plan, God laughs. Uh, no, for that joke. no. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, you know, it's funny. Uh, we'll, we'll move it to Star Wars in a moment, but uh, it's funny that you brought it up then. Uh, I feel like I know the answer, and obviously Marvel has to ask, but uh, considering the, the first printing of this New Mutants War Children sold out, if Marvel said, hey, would you and Bill be interested in doing these New Mutants one-offs once a year or so, is that uh, something that you'd be particularly interested in? Yes. <laughs> I, I felt like I knew the answer <laughs> well no I mean it's the thing the fun part was that the unexpected delight was that Bill and I both enjoyed getting back with the kids and and doing the story and for better or worse reasons there are more stories to tell there have always been more stories to tell but the fun part about writing kids is the ability, the option of going in any direction. And the beauty of comics is like it or not, if you're doing, if you're doing a film, if you're doing a TV series, if you, if, if demon bear becomes a huge success and Disney says, let's get the gang together again, like it or not, they're all four years older or more. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I had, I have a concept, a, a giggle concept for a, a screen pitch uh, of, of Gene and Rain teaming up, of, of getting uh, Maisie and uh, Sophie together for what I think would be a really cool adventure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but then you have to accept the fact that even if they greenlit it today, by the time we got it out, it would be 2022. Yeah. So time passes. Sounds so pretentious, but time passes for real people at a slightly different rate than for comic book characters. And we, they, there has to be, you have to find, one has to find a way of balancing that or worse, recasting it. I mean, you know, Hugh Jackman's Logan rule the roost for 20 years but if if there's a decision made to bring back the character for the neck for an upcoming x film the casting is going to is is going to be a, a significant challenge because they have to a, a car an actor will have to be found who who has the same charisma and and power of hugh jackman and that's that's a serious challenge. Yes, I, I I wouldn't want to be the George Lazenby that's chosen to replace Hugh Jackman. You know, I think that's a tremendous yes, pressure. Yes, but no, the trick is to find the Daniel Craig. Right, absolutely. That that's what they should even do. even if he is a blonde. <laughs> Wolverine's blonde now. That's ah, all right. Uh, no, no, no. As they say, blondes have more fun. 
I can attest that is true. That's true. Uh, yeah, it's sort of like the character that they chose to replace Han Solo in Solo, which I don't think that oh, he did actor, a bad. Yeah, actor. I don't yeah, think sure. that he did a bad job, but it's definitely a really hard it, role. It's like big shoes to fill to, to not be Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah like I, I agree with that. That's that's well, really rough. I think the most defining moment was when they were interviewing him, the young Han. Uh, they were they were doing a TV interview, and Harrison Ford, unknown to the to him, walks in behind him, oh. walks up to the camera, and just wraps his arms around him and says, you know, just says hello. And it was like, oh! and it was like you're sitting there thinking, I wonder if he's a fan <laughs> as well. No, how do you how does anyone follow Harrison Ford? And yet, that would be one hell of a challenge. You know, um, it is sort of like being George Lazenby <laughs> in the one the one film I, as a fan, would have killed to have Sean Connery in just to see Sean Connery and Diana Rick. <laughs> yes, but I'm, I'm, but sure, that, I'm sure no, but that, I'm sure Sean but, would have enjoyed that, too. Well, but on Her Majesty's Secret Service was a defining the defining film of the Bond saga. And it it would have been a cool capstone, much a much better capstone than Diamonds Are Forever. But there you go. You know, as the saying goes, people people plan, God laughs. And <laughs> the same thing applies as much to comics as anywhere else. Um, any other form of entertainment, you you have to you have to go with what feels right at the time, and beyond that, keep keep your fingers crossed. Well, speaking of that and comics and Star Wars, uh, you did a number of Star Wars comics for Marvel in the 70s and 80s. And before I ask you about Star Wars today, um, was it hard to write those characters at that point before Return of the Jedi was released or even Empire Strikes Back? Like, how limited were you in what you could do with those characters? Uh, At the beginning, not so limited. Oh, good. Because no one at Lucasfilm or Fox had any idea what what they were either. (laughs) Well, um, I mean, they, they, let that, they let that Christmas special happen, so clearly they, the, the reins were not very tight. Yeah, but at least there were no Ewoks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it was, we were building a canon. The, the one, I found the one creepy thing was that we couldn't make any significant changes to the appearance of the characters. No matter what happened, Leah had her you know, her giant cushions on the side of her head. <laughs> uh, Luke had only one set of clothes, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, so we had to play against increasingly strict rules or play in the, at the, and uh, I think the thing, the thing that we could do that, Lucasfilm and Fox were always of necessity challenged to do was we had the option of fully embracing the galaxy. It, it cost nothing for us to, you know, from a writer to ask an artist, can you create this alien, that alien, go to this planet, that planet. All it took was imagination and the ability to draw. I mean, bouncing back to X-Men for a moment, it for me to sit there and say, let's start this story with a double spread, a space battle around a binary star. It's incredible. Ships are blowing up. They're, they should look nothing like any starship we've ever seen. Bodies are flying through space. Yeah, you know, go down the whole list. And then a week later, Dave Cockrum sends me this really cool double spread. <laughs> right. And to think about the what it would be involved in creating that as a as an element of CGI in terms of of the computer codes, the the design elements, integrating the design elements into the characters themselves, integrating them into the action, integrating them into you know, the just thinking about it and my computer knowledge is minuscule makes my head explode. <laughs> so, but you'd be end up spending 10 or 12 million dollars just to do that scene in today's market. We can I can get given the right artist, I can just write the description and boom. 2 months later it's on the stands. Um that's an extraordinary 
gift and advantage that comics has always had over any other form of motion storytelling, whether it's film or television. Um, and more importantly, the space between the panels is a remarkable opportunity for the reader's own imagination to jump into the story and, and flesh out the characters as you go so that they may end up well disagreeing with the writer's concept of who these people are and how they're doing this stuff. But it, it's, in, it's involving. And that involvement has always been, I always felt, one of, our great, one of the medium's greatest strengths. So you want, you want the reader to fall in love with the page, with the people, with what's happening. You want the reader to care about what's happening. Just for the, just as an inspiration to turn the page to see what happens next and then to come back four weeks later or eight weeks later, if it's a bi-monthly, sure. to find out what the, the next step is. So it's a, it's a seduction and an ongoing love affair, to put it bluntly. And you do that by, by creating visuals that that are impossible to resist and then put characters within those visuals that you really want to care about, that you really want to follow that, that you, you don't want Sue to, to lose the second baby. And then when she does, it breaks your heart. You, when you come to the moment where Jean looks at Scott and says, I would have to stay completely in control of the Phoenix for the rest of my possibly immortal life. And I, that's too big a risk. And then you realize she's not joking. It's, you care about these people. You care about, or ideally, you care about the decisions they make and the consequences that come of them. And if I can do it in a way that I care and the artist cares and we can translate it to the, transfer that to the audience, ideally they get to the last page and the last panel, and they're sitting on the edge of their seat and saying, what happens next? And I've gone way afar from your question. No, no that was... That, it's, it's always a, a wonderfully uh, eloquent detour that, uh, you know, we just, we're just enjoying to walk <laughs> along with it. Well, yeah, and you really you think about that, but that's exactly what you want out of any good story, and it should be the same with TV, and it should be the same with movies, and there have been a number of movies that... Christian knows, even in Marvel, that, that I haven't been so fond of for that exact reason. It's very <laughs> important. <laughs> um, well, the, the interesting thing is going to be, we finally had with Infinity Wars, do we? The capstone. So we don't know, everything that's come to a sort of an end, we don't know what's going to happen next, except that at some at some point in some way there they will integrate the X canon and the FF canon into the whole existing Marvel pantheon. I have my own vision of how I'd have done it, but you know, I don't I don't <clears throat> run Disney. No, and I, I would ask you, but I'm sure that you're saving that for when, you know, you see that uh, Kevin Feige's office is calling. I'm like, ah, what do you think? You know, how do we get this to work? I think that there there are ways where you can make it work where it doesn't alter what we've already gotten from the MCU. Oh, no, no. You, you, you can, it integrates perfectly. Yeah. And, it, and it's consistent with everyone's sense of who and what mutants are. And the thing that I would... I would have based it off of is all the superheroes we've seen to this date within the Marvel pantheon get their powers from some electronic element or force or alien technology that is totally independent of them as people. It happens to, it happens to Carol Danvers, but it could have just as easily have happened to her her uh, best friend, mm -hmm. uh, who was her wing wing person. Yes. <laughs> uh, it well, wingman seems inappropriate, no, days, especially with those two. Um, it could just as easily happen to her daughter. Spoiler: <laughs> who is who is also Captain Marvel? Yes. 
Oh, that gets too complicated. Yes, now. I know. <laughs> um, Let's just leave Marvell well, out of it. That just makes it too confusing. Well, maybe okay, she'll evolve. Well, she could evolve into binary. You never know. That's true. Now that the pantheons are back together. Yeah. But the point, the, the fundamental difference is, and this was the core of, of all the writing I've ever did, at least in the first arc of, of X-Men, is the X-Men are born this way. There's... It's like being able to sing. It's like having red hair. Whoops. It's <laughs> it's whatever color you your skin is. You can't help that. You're stuck with it because you're born this way. And you can't do anything about it. Kurt Wagner is Kurt Wagner, image inducers help, but he's stuck looking that way for his entire life, which is not the thing evolved, turned into the thing just from flying up into outer space. Uh, he has a, a foundation of, of being a normal person that hopefully sustains him. Kurt doesn't. So what does that do to you growing up? What does that do to him? What does that do to everyone else? They can't, who they are, what they are, can't be taken away no matter how hard that silly film tried. <laughs> which shall remain nameless <laughs> we, won't, yes. we won't say anything um, uh, well speaking of that and these characters that are that are born with you know with whatever power if you want to call it that that they have um, Rogue has always been my favorite member of the X-Men how long did you have that tragic concept of someone who can absorb powers but like not physically touch anyone um, and oh, right from the start yeah wow no I'm going to screw somebody over I'm going <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but that's the whole point. That's why when uh, when there was a moment uh, in ex- w- uh, God, in Janet nah, Extreme, where the X Men, where when the Extreme team catches up with Rogue, and she's been living in Southern California without her powers for some time. And she's been having the greatest time of her life. I bet, you know, yeah. She's got, she's got art down her arm. She's rebuilding old cars. She can meet people. She can, t- she can be what she's always yearned to be, a teenager. Mm-hmm. You know, and Igor Corday did, it was, his way of presenting characters was totally cool. And even, what made it more cool was it was totally different from all the other artists working in the modern industry at that time, because he was bringing a Euro, an Eastern European, Southeastern European uh, sensibility to it. But it was just, and it was totally up to date in terms of visuals. So I, I loved it. Uh, no one else did, but there you go. <laughs> um, no, because it didn't look like everything else and people, Especially a lot of audiences take comfort in the fact that the FF will look like the Avengers will look like Superman will look like the X-Men, that they all, you know, there's a certain baseline of of normalcy. And with Igor, we kind of went beyond that, um, especially when he and I were doing Excalibur, at least for the 30 pages. Uh, we got a, got away with it before Marvel decided they wanted a different artist. Right. But the, those 30 pages, from my perspective as a writer, were absolutely wonderful because it was it was everything that I, I wanted to say about them being different and them being uh, creepy, which for, to most normal people, the X-Men should be or the mutants should be. Um, but there you go. Uh, it, as I kept, as I keep saying, it's not my hundred and fifty million dollars <laughs> holding up the company. Yeah. It's it's Fox's. Well, it's Marvel's and now Disney's. So, you know, I'm not a. I can't. I can't deal with that. Not that can't deal with it. It's just I can't argue with that. Or speak English, which seems to be <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, right now. 
Yeah, so we're very close to out of time, and there's a... Uh, as usual, I talk too much. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's why it's always want. a treat to have you on, because uh, the, the fact that you talk so much, it's not too much. It's uh, We always enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> I want to circle back very quickly on, because we were talking about Star Wars before. Mm. Have you yeah. seen the latest movie, Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> yeah. And uh, because I spoke with you a couple years ago about uh, Last Jedi, and you had a lot of the similar problems that I did, which we don't have time to rehash, but number one being... All of a sudden, Princess Leia can fly in space and no one says anything about it. But I'm wondering what you thought of this film that sort of, you know, at least ties up this this most recent trilogy. They say it ties up the Skywalker story. I'll believe that when I see it. But for now, this is our our final, our most recent one. And I wonder what you thought of it. Well, I find my reaction to the third to the current trilogy is much the same as my reaction to the first trilogy of the three films, I think. Far and away, the the middle film was, and that's this is surprising, was the better film, was the best film, because it left me sitting on the edge of my seat. It left me wondering what's going to happen next. Where do we go from here? Oh my gosh, everything's at risk. Um, I it tied everything up in a very neat bow. I understand. I, I I love the the rumor or the, the report that circulated two years ago that they just finished the second film and they realized, oh, we've killed what's-his-face. We don't have a villain. <laughs> oh, uh, Sn- Supreme Leader Snoke, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, well, and now suddenly it's like, whatever the guys I wear, whether it's Snoke or, you know, your, your high school teacher, it's <laughs> always been me. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, which is fine. I, you know... Um, I felt bad for all the clones. Yes. <laughs> or all the kids who got recruited, uh, who got fried in, in, you know, toward in each battle with, with, uh, an Imperial destroyer or whatever the heck they were using. Right. I, I think my fundamental reaction is I really like Rin as a character. I really like where she comes from. I really want to see where she's going, which I have to sidebar. I felt the same way about Willow when I was writing the sequels for George. For George. <laughs> As opposed to Mr. Lucas. Yes. Yes, that's um, right. You know, I wanted, because my, my goal writing those novels was I want the reader to, to have my feeling, which is what the heck's going to happen next. So I got to the end of nine and I thought, huh, okay, what the heck happens next? Yeah. Where can she go f- from? She's on. She's she's on Tatooine, which is apparently one of only two planets in the solar in the galaxy that that are human habitable, <laughs> along with the other sand planet where she came from. It's you know I I'm curious, which may not be as intense a reaction as as uh, Disney wants. Uh, I'm intrigued by the fact that they want George to come back and run the shop. I'll be even more intrigued by his answer. Um, (laughs) Well, no, because, you know, the frustration, the, the hard thing to balance is he wrote all this stuff when he was in middle school. Yeah. And junior high, you know, high school. So your perceptions of people in the world then versus people in the world 40 years later or 50 years later are different. The questions you ask and the way you want to answer them are different. If if Marvel tossed the X-Men into my lap again, the way I would the way I would think about the characters and what I would want where I would want to go with them are different. This is actually the, one of the challenges that, that was we're fa- I'm giving you a great view of my lower jaw. <laughs> um, sorry about that. No, this is one of the discussions that Jim Lee and I had back in you know a quarter century ago when when we were starting the the X Men all over again, which he had stories he wanted to tell, but my reaction was I've been doing this for a while. I've told those stories at least twice. I want to find something new. Sure. I want something that will excite me. And on the 
supposition that if I'm excited, and I hopefully the artist is excited, the audience will be excited because we're walking down a strange new path where we can't take anything for granted and who knows what could happen. Heck, we might kill Gene in the 14th issue. Right. I mean, we killed Thunderbird in the first issue. <laughs> Let's see what happens next. Well, uh, But that's it. That's the uncertainty that you need to bring to any dramatic enterprise, ideally where you can't take anything, you shouldn't be able to take anything for granted. When Captain Kirk comes back for the fourth Star Trek, is there a way we can look at it and think, holy cow, maybe they'll kill him. Maybe not. Yeah. Could something break his heart? You want that... Yeah, you want the security of knowing it's a hero, he's going to come back for the sequel, and yet, it's and it's that and yet that ideally a writer should be able to steal from and create the most irresistible temptation of a story that the readers can't help but fall in love with. Yes, and uh, on that note, we are out of time. But I will agree that what we need to get, so what we sorry. need to get on on all these, uh, you know, is new stories, new stories from Star Wars and and all around. Agreed. But, uh, and Chris, we look Agreed. forward to whatever the uh, new stories are you have to tell. I know you uh, wrote on Instagram over the summer. You're working on a novel, so hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you about that. But uh, in the meantime, follow Chris on Instagram at Chris Clearmountain. Thank you so much for your time. We always the appreciate pleasure was absolutely mine. Thank you so much for having me on. We I always enjoy it. And uh, I'm Christian Blad. You can find me Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. Zia, where can people find you? Uh, also Twitter and Instagram at Zia underscore land. That's spelled X-I-A underscore land. And look for her on Twitch. You'll find her there very soon. Yeah, twitch.tv slash Zia land. Surprise, surprise. I'm going to start playing video games. You guys come hang out with me when I do that. Uh, on that note, <laughs> that's it for us. But uh, we'll be back soon with uh, another great uh, conversation. So thanks so much, everybody. And as uh, the great Stan Lee would say, Excelsior! Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 